Hello and welcome. My name is uh, Adam Curtis. I'm the curate here uh, at Christchurch. It's a joy to be with you all and to everyone who's watching on the live stream. Um, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at a few modern myths that define our cultural moment, this cultural moment which we swim in. We've been thinking last week about born this way and two weeks ago, uh, be true to yourself. But both these myths, they exist because of the one we're looking at today. You only live once. Or when I was at university and was a bit more like down with the kids, we used to call it YOLO. But I've heard that that's quite an old man's statement nowadays. Um, now, you, you may be thinking, but why, Adam, are we looking at all these different myths? Why are we looking at them as a church? And the reason is because these myths have invaded every single, every, to the very corners of our culture. These myths, they exist when, when, in the music that we listen to, in the TV that we watch, in the books that we read, in the conversations that we have. They underpin our cultural sort of moment. And actually, they're often just accepted as, as the norm, as this is how life is. And you've just got to get, get over it and get used to it and just run with it. And when something has infiltrated our culture this uh, deeply, well, then it's very easy for it to infiltrate into our minds and for us to start thinking, oh, yeah, this is how the world is. We do only live once. We should be true to ourselves. We have been born this way. And actually, these these myths can start to come out of our mouths and form our minds as, as well. And so we need to be men and women who think sharply, who think deeply, who engage with what is our culture saying. And, and, and in what our culture is saying, what is good here? What is, what is worthy of praise? And I want to say amen to. What is from the Lord? But also as we think deeply and strategically and sharply, what actually, what is, what is wrong here? What is a lie here? What is not from the Lord? What is actually wicked? What would actually be for my harm if I believe this? So that's why we're doing this series on modern myths. And as we come to engage with our culture and delve into God's word, let us come before our maker in prayer. Dearest God of endless life, Alpha and Omega, you have no beginning and no end. Please grant us understanding and compassion as we come to explore yet another modern myth. And as we reflect and meditate on your word, please give us life which only comes through you. In the name of Jesus, your precious gift of love for us. Amen. YOLO, you only live once. Before I sort of delve into my explanation of it, maybe with just someone sitting next to you, maybe just quickly say uh, hello and maybe just answer the question, you only live once. Have you heard that phrase being used and what do you think it means? So say hello, what does you only live once mean? Have you heard it?
No, should we draw our conversations together? And if you've, if you've met someone for the first time, then do continue your conversations afterwards as well. So you only live once. Well, from my reading understanding, this is an ideology that encourages us to seize the day, to go for it, to live it, to take life by the horns. Because once this moment is over, well, then it will only exist in, in memories and photographs. We need to plunge into life. YOLO is about living life to the full because life is for living. And this sort of language of you only live once is the sort of cultural norm of our day. When I was lead, leaving Cardiff University, the student union decided to change one of their club nights, uh, the titles, to YOLO. And I actually went on this week and I had a look and it's still called YOLO today. And actually, because it was Halloween, it was called, the club night this week was called Yoloween. <laughs> but while, um, yeah, it's sort of uh, prom prominent in sort of university sort of culture, but it's also prominent in the wider culture. Um, I don't know if anyone reads The Independent, now an online newspaper, but YOLO got a mention this week. You only live once. Did you hear about the Japanese princess who gave up her royal titles and status to marry a commoner? And in order to marry uh, a commoner, she has to put all her royal privileges to one side. And while covering, covering this event, the independent newspaper said, you only live once, quote marks. Japanese princess Mako and new commoner husband defend their marriage and address. Our marriage was a necessary choice to live while cherishing our hearts. But this sort of idea, well, it's nothing new. Do you remember the 2000 hit by Bon Jovi? It's my life. And now I saw on YouTube, it's had over a billion uh, uh, listens. Um, it's my life. It's now or never. I ain't going to live forever. I just want to live while I'm alive. It's my life. Supporters of this ideology claim that you only live once gives us great purpose in life. In February this year, a book was released, a self-help book released, called You Only Live Once. Find purpose, reclaim power, make your life count. And I do want to say, I think there is something good about this ideology. I actually think there's something helpful underneath it, because there is no reset button on life. Reincarnation is not a thing. You don't get to try and try and try again and again and again until you finally live some sort of perfect life, until you finally can make it to nirvana. Life is for living. God has created us not simply to exist and to get through life, but to enjoy life and to live life. To live life each day knowing that we are part of some great unfolding story. To know that we serve some greater purpose. We have been made with, with a purpose that is written deep into our very DNA. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says that all things have been made by Christ and for Christ. We don't want to live just a passive life. We want to take this truth by the horns and take this life by the horns. Life is for living. We read in Matthew 25, Jesus telling the parable of the tal talents. In this parable, there is a rich 
uh, ruler, and he, he goes traveling. And as he goes traveling, he gives to three of his servants bags of gold. And then he goes off. And each of these servants, well, two of them decide to, to use this gold and to invest uh, this gold, and they produce more from what they have done. But one servant decides that what they would do is instead bury the gold. They will bury it. And then this master comes back. And for the two servants who have used the gold, who've used their talents, the master rewards them. But for the servant who has just buried it and wasted it and thrown it away, we read in Matthew 25, the master says that this servant is wicked and lazy. Now, this parable is teaching us loads of things. I don't think it's just teaching us this, but I think one of the things it teaches us is that life is for living. God has given us skills and talents and abilities which he hasn't given to the person next to us. And he wants us to use them. He wants us to use them for his glory, for his kingdom, for his work. However, even though I do think there is something helpful about this you only live once, grab life by the horns mentality, overall I think it is fundamentally flawed. I think it is flawed because it is based on a wrong understanding of the world. You only live once, unsurprisingly, assumes that this material world, that the things that you can touch and see, that that is all that there is, that there is no heaven, there is no hell, there is no spiritual dimension or reality. Thus, you can do what you want, when you want, with whoever you want, because this is the only chance you've got. This is the hand you've been dealt, so get on and play it. YOLO feels like the street-savvy version of classical atheism. In his book, The Atheist's Guide to Reality, the philosopher Alex Rosenberg addressed a series of questions from an atheist perspective. He said, he wrote, sorry, what is the purpose of the universe? There is none. What is the meaning of life? Ditto. Why am I here? Just dumb luck. And this is what you only live once is saying. There is no purpose to the universe. There is no meaning in life. You are simply here because you are here. So get on with it and make the most of this life. And I have sort of cre three critiques of this materialistic, classical, atheistic view of the world. The first one is that you only live once where it places all your eggs in one basket and it makes sort of this life, this moment, it. But in doing that, it robs this life and this moment of meaning. And I think it makes it meaningless. The comedian Russell Brand, who has lived more wildly and publicly um, than most, famously stated in an interview, this was pre his spiritual awakening, who famously stated, now I'm famous, what does it mean? Ash in my mouth. Fame was something beautiful to behold when he was a young man, but once he'd made it to the top, once he'd grasped it, when he realized how worthless it was, it became nothing to him. And if life is for living, and Russell Brand has been as YOLO as you get, then why did it not satisfy when he lived life to the full, why did it not satisfy? 
If you believe that this is all that there is, that soon you will be forgotten, that every achievement you have done means nothing, the end result of this belief system, if followed to its natural conclusion, is meaningless. And it is meaninglessness. The artist Francis Bacon says, man now realizes that he is an accident, that he is a completely futile being. And it's interesting to note that even the great atheist thinker, Bertrand Russell, who argued passionately against the existence of God, still stated, the center of me is always an eternally a terrible pain, a curious, wild pain, a searching for something beyond what the world contains. And you compare this materialistic, atheistic, this moment is everything ideology to the Christian worldview and belief system, and we'll see how shallow that this one is. We are not random. We are not here by accident. We are not a random collection of cells which are here by chance and in a click of the fingers are then gone. Humanity is not an accident. Colossians 1.16 again, we have been made by Christ and we have been made for Christ. Christ is our creator, but he is also our very purpose. We are here for a reason, for Jesus, to glorify Jesus in thought, in word, in deed, to love God with our heads and our hearts and our strength and our soul and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And what does that mean for us here today in this church and watching on the live stream? Well, it means God is real. He is your, he is our creator. We have a purpose. We have a meaning. It is not by accident that we are here, but by design. So let us use this life which he has gifted us. Let us use it for his glory. My second critique of the only, you only live once, and is another question, is this the, the reality of the world we live in? Do we simply exist for a moment and then we're gone? Is this our experience of life? Have you ever stood at the graveside of a friend and thought to yourself, this isn't just sad, this is wrong. They should still be here. Why is it that no matter where you go in the world or no matter which religious belief you study, the idea that there is an afterlife, it is common humans from our earliest ancestors to the four corners of the earth have felt that this moment isn't all there is. That there is something more. Scripture says that this is how we've been made to be. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has set eternity in the human heart. God has designed us so that we would be beings that last for more than a moment, so that we would long for more than just this moment. And we see this very poignantly in the words of um, Damien Hirst, the famous modern 
artist who is himself an atheist, but here this longing for eternity. Why do I feel so important when I'm not? Nothing is important, and everything is important. I do not know why I'm here, but I'm glad that I am. I'd rather be here than not. I'm going to die, and I want to live forever. I can't escape that fact. I can't let go of that desire. This desire for eternity, it is a desire that has been made to be met. When we are hungry, we eat. When we are thirsty, we drink. The Oxford academic C.S. Lewis says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And this is what God tells us is true. We were made for another world. Romans 8 says that this world is groaning. It is in the midst of the pains of childbirth. All creation is waiting for a new world to be made. For this world not to be destroyed, but, but transformed. Away from, from decay and from death and from suffering. And towards flourishing and life and joy. This means this life is not all there is. There is something more. We were made for something more. So what does that mean for us here today? Well, if your life has been full of pain and full of hardship, then take comfort. This not life is not going to be the totality of who you are. You are made for more. If your life has been filled with unmet desires and dreams, then fear not. A world is coming where all our longing will be satisfied. My third critique of the you only live once ideology is this worldview is based purely on the here and now, and thus there is no justice. It is an unjust worldview. If you believe that this world is all there is, then those people who have done terrible crimes and have simply died, well, they will never be held to account for those crimes. The nation was rightly shocked when we heard about the crimes of Jimmy Savile. But there are so many more men and women who have committed equally, if not worse, crimes who, have, who we've never even heard of. And they've got away with it. They've got away with it. If you believe this world is it. But that is not the Christian worldview. I think the Christian worldview is summed up quite helpfully in the words of Gladiator. What we do in life echoes in eternity. God is a good God. Goodness is part of his character Thus, as he is a good God, he is a just God, and he must punish wickedness and wrongdoing, or he would not be consistent with himself. If we heard of a judge who was not just, but accepted bribes, we would not call him a good 
judge. We would not call him a good person because God is a good God. Thus, he is a just God. Thus, he will hold every man and every woman to account because of his goodness. That's the words in Malachi 3. They're good words because they speak of this day of judgment, a day of justice. And Malachi 3 tells us that day is coming. We might not experience that justice here on earth, but that day is coming. A line will be drawn between those who serve the Lord and those who do not. Jesus speaks of this day in Matthew 25. And he speaks of it, of a separating between the sheep and the goats. Those who have served the Lord, well, they will receive eternal life. And those who have not, will they will experience God's justice and his punishment. You only live once. It is a shallow philosophy and an unjust one. And we can trust that God is both good enough and able enough to hold people to account. No one will escape his judgment. No one can outrun his justice. So what does that mean for us today? Well, it means this life that we live in this world, it matters. It matters. We can't just throw it all away and just go along simply with, with how we feel. We can't just ignore God's holy law and think that the things which we do, the things which we say, how we treat people, how we treat God, we can't think that these things don't matter, that they have no consequences. They matter. God sees all and God knows all. Everything will be brought into the light. And that thought is sobering. But it also infuses meaning into our lives. If you know that you are going to be held to account for the life that you live, well then you're going to want to live it well. This eternal reality, it, it makes us ask questions. It makes me ask questions. Are we living life well? Are we living life for the glory of God? <laughs> for the glory of myself? Are we serving Christ or am I serving self? And if I ask, as I ask these questions, and if we ask these questions, and if we find ourselves concerned with the answer, and, we're like, and we feel the negativeness of the answer which we produce, well then we need to let the words of Malachi chapter 3 encourage us. Malachi chapter 3, verse, from verse 16. Those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. If we are asking ourselves those questions, is my life for God or is my life for self? And if we are concerned by the answer, then be someone who fears the Lord. Fearing the Lord is it's about acknowledging you are God and I am not. It's about standing in awe of him in his creative power, 
but he's also being amazed by his love that he would choose to send his one and only son to die to save us, to redeem us, and that he has the power to bring his son from death to life. It's about being amazed by that, standing in awe of who our God is. And now there's a story in in Luke uh, chapter 7, which I think encapsulates what it is to have a right fear of the Lord. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus meets a centurion. And this centurion, well, he's not part of the, the Jewish nation. He's not part of the great inheritance from Abraham, but he sees and he knows who Jesus is. And he comes to Jesus and he recognizes that Jesus has authority. And he says, I, I'm a centurion, I'm a soldier. I know that if I command the people below me, they will do what I say. And I recognize that you have that authority over me. This, I think, encapsulates what it is to have a right fear of the Lord. Lord Jesus, you have authority over my life. You have authority to call my life to to, to be what you, you want it to be. You're the king and I'm not the king. You're God and I'm not God. You're the Lord and I'm not the Lord. This is your law and I'm going to follow your law. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to live for your glory with my body and with my soul and with my mouth. No matter what the world may say, no matter if they have a different sexual ethic, if they have a different understanding of reality, if they have a different moral code, I will live for you because you're the Lord and I'm under your authority. This, I think, encapsulates what it is to have a fear of the Lord. So if you are finding yourself asking that question, am I serving God, am I serving self? And if you're concerned about the answer, then fear the Lord and come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and recognize you're my saviour and through your death I am washed. You're my Lord and so I will listen to all that you have to say. And I will go your way. Let's spend a moment just in silence, just reflecting on all that's been said today. And let's be thinking, is there a particular thing the Lord has been placing on your heart and in your mind? And then I'll pray. Dearest God, Heavenly Father, forgive us for those times when we believe that we only live once. And we we believe that this material world is all that there is. And we forget that there is a world that is coming. Help us, Father God, to keep our eyes and our hearts fixed upon that day. And help us to have a right fear of you. Help us to stand in awe of you to be amazed by you, to adore you. And as we fear you, may we have our confidence grow and grow and grow because we then know that we are your treasured possession, that our name is written in your book of life and that nothing, no demon, no devil, no man, no woman, nothing can separate us from your love. Hold us to yourself. Draw us to yourself. And help us know that we are made 
for the world that is to come. In Jesus' name. Amen.